The Lord calls us to worship this morning uh, from the book of Psalms, chapter 66. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Amen. Father in heaven who is enthroned in light, seated in the highest heavens, we praise you and we thank you that we may gather as your people together today to worship you, to lift up the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to magnify him and to make much of him. Lord, we pray that you would be pleased to inhabit the praises of your people, that you would, by your mercy, fill us with your spirit in this service of worship that all that is said and done this morning as we sing praises, as we read your word, as we hear it proclaimed, as we come to the table of your grace, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be with us, that you would be pleased to minister the gospel to our souls. We pray, Lord, that we would see you high and lifted up, and that we would worship in your presence. Father, we pray the prayer now that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the hymnal if you would like to look there. I'm going to begin by asking you, since this is a confession of our faith, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and look to Him by faith, hear this assurance of your pardon, of your sins. From Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen. Let's continue to worship now. Take your hymnal, if you will, and turn to number 658 as we sing together, Jesus, my Lord, my God, my all.
take an offering to the glory of God. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of being able to participate in this service of worship, and particularly as we give our tithes and our offerings this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would help our hearts where they might be sleepy to think of this as a way of worship, just as we sing praises to you, as we offer up our lives to you. Lord, we confess that in giving, we see the things of this world not so tightly held in our hands. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see also the spread of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in our obedience. We pray that you would be pleased to use our tithes and offerings, that others who do not know you, lost souls, would be brought into the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
morning for our responsive reading, please turn in your hymnal to page 841. We're going to recite together Psalm 150 on page 841. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and flute. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with the sounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's stand together again and turn to hymn number 645 as we sing together, Jesus, the very thought of thee. This month for our pastoral prayer time, we're going to be praying for another of our missionaries. Uh, Sam and Lizzie Goodwin are here in Columbia, South Carolina. They continue to work uh, with Mission to the World. They were, many of you know, they were stationed in Germany for over 10 years. They are here now uh, doing schooling uh, for their children and are still supporting our missionaries through member care around the world, uh, coordinating with teams who are in country in different places and providing soul care for them 
and helping assist teams as they are human beings, living their lives, raising children, going to work every day, dealing with everyday, day-to-day struggles that you and I deal with, but they do so around the world. So let's pray together this morning for Sam and Lizzie, and also want to pray for uh, those in the, that were in the path of this storm this past week, as we enjoyed the rain and the benefits of it and the beautiful skies the last few days. There are many people who are suffering and struggling and who still uh, are without power and many of the belongings that they had before the storm came. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you that we may call upon you as our Heavenly Father and that you hear us as your children. Lord, we thank you that we may come to you with the thoughts and concerns of our hearts and that you hear them and you answer in your perfect time. That in your providence you know before we even offer up prayers to you and that your answer was set before the foundation of the world. Lord, we thank you that we may pray this morning for Sam and Lizzie Goodwin. We pray for them, Lord, that you would give them encouragement and comfort in the gospel this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bless them in their own day-to-day lives as they raise their children, as they go to work, as they put their hands to do what you have called them to do. Lord, I pray that you would protect them from the wily ways of our enemy, the devil, that you would cause their hearts to be built up in faith. Lord, we pray that you would preserve them in the midst of trials, in sorrows, in discouragements. And we pray, Lord, that you would give Sam true delight in helping to serve in member care for many of our missionaries around the world who get up every day and and deal with their own personal struggles, but also seek to see the kingdom built and be a witness for you. Lord, I pray that you would help Sam in his research and in his work, that he would be diligent to know uh, skills and tools that will help him to serve others. But Lord, I also do pray that you would protect his heart. And Lord, I do also lift up people to you uh, in Florida and in Georgia and South Carolina, and even folks in Hawaii, Lord, who have gone through tragedy over the last couple of weeks, who some of them lost everything of their earthly possessions. We pray, Lord, that you would bless MA disaster response teams as they go to seek to minister the gospel, to help people find their belongings and begin to put their lives back together. Lord, we pray, we do pray for their temporal comforts in this world, but we also pray that you would use disaster response team members to go and to share the gospel, that hearts would be prepared, that they would be able to hear the gospel and believe, and that they would call out to you in faith. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that we may pray to you, even as we come to you with requests and the heaviness of our own hearts. There are many of us who came in here this morning with things that are yet still unresolved in our own lives. We pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to answer in your good time. And Lord, I pray for our church family that you would give each of us the grace and the mercy to trust you, to know that you hear us as we call out to you, as we do so in the morning and in the evening. And as you wake us up in the night, you call us to lift up our voices, to cry out to you as our heavenly father, knowing that you are always with us. Lord, I pray that for our people, those who are under a weight of affliction, those who are walking through deep, dark valleys. I pray that you would be near to them. I pray that the promises of Jesus would be sweet in their mouths. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring songs to their mind and verses 
that they might be encouraged to know that your promises are real, even if they cannot see them clearly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 37. Psalm 37, this morning we're going to read verse 4. The sermon is entitled, Delight in the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 4. This is the word of the Lord. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. As we continue in our series this morning, being still in the busy, learning to find the rhythms of rest and peace and delight in our Savior, even in the midst of a busy life, we're looking again at Psalm 37, and we're going to focus all of our time this morning on verse 4. We're going to slow down and ask some questions this morning. What does it mean to delight yourself in the Lord? This is the goal and the upward call of God upon the life of everyone whom he calls to himself in the gospel. 
This is the goal and trajectory of your life, of your heart, of your passions, of your joys, of your happiness, is that you would delight yourself in the Lord, in your Savior. This isn't something for the Apostle Paul or King David or Peter. This is something for you and for me to feed upon Christ, to see him every day and to delight in his presence, knowing that he is with you. Dear church, I prayed this for you this week and I prayed it for me too. May the Lord answer this prayer today. This morning, as we look at this verse in Psalm 37, I want to ask just a couple of questions of it. And hopefully you see these answers very clearly from your Savior in these verses that we have read. Number one, what is delight in the Lord? What's required of us in it? And number two, how do I know that I am delighting in Him the way that He has prescribed in the Scriptures? So number one, what is it and what is required in it to delight in the Lord? First, I believe it is seeing and savoring Jesus as the supreme treasure of your life. Last time that we looked at Psalm 37, we we talked about this idea of looking up, not looking down at the world and the things that you see every day. And certainly you have to live your life exactly where the Lord has placed you. But look up. Your life is not totally here. Look up. See your Savior and savor Him as the true supreme gift that He is. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field or a pearl of great price. And those who found those treasures sold everything that they had to buy that field or to buy that pearl of great price. And I want to ask you this morning, is there anything that you are unwilling to give up that Jesus would be your everything? That he would be what you treasure, that you delight in? Is there anything that you cannot let go of to the extent that your arms or your hands are full of anything else that you cannot do without, that you say, I must have this in order to have joy and happiness in this life. To that extent, you are unable to embrace Jesus as the supreme treasure. Because the way that this works is that He is the supreme treasure and nothing else is. Is there anything that you cannot do without? So how do we see and savor Jesus? Number one, I believe by faith we see Jesus As He is, as He is revealed in the Scriptures, He is the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, the Lord over all of your life. He is everything to you. You see Him, you behold Him in the truth. And with this kind of sight, seeing the truth, Jesus is true and beautiful and surpassing all value. Is it possible for us as sinners to read the Bible, to see Jesus high and lifted up, offering himself as a sacrifice for sinners, and then walk away and say, that's a nice idea. You can't. You cannot. Jesus is so much more than a nice idea. So how do you see and savor Jesus as the supreme treasure? By faith, we do that. By faith, you savor him. You treasure him. You admire him. You prize him. You cherish knowing him. In Philippians chapter 3, I want to read a few verses for you that Paul wrote about treasuring 
the Lord Jesus, not treasuring him as an idea, but treasuring him as a person to enjoy. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, Paul said, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Can you say that this morning? Can you say, I count all things as loss, except for knowing him? Am I willing to let go of everything as if it is refuse that I might know my Savior? Sinclair Ferguson wrote in his book, The Whole Christ, when we behold, when we see Christ, And the glory of Christ in the gospel, it reorders the loves of our hearts. So we delight in him supremely. And the other things that have ruled our lives lose their enslaving power over us. Have you seen Jesus that way? Have you seen Jesus that way? That in a way that you cannot explain the grip of your hands and the grip of things in your life lets go. Have you seen the Lord Jesus? And beheld him that way. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 14. Peter said. As obedient children. Not conforming yourselves to the former lusts. This is the word desires. I think this is directly connected. To this idea in Psalm 37 verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Peter is picking up on this. And he says. As obedient children. Not conforming yourselves to the former desires. As in your ignorance, unholy desires in your heart flow from ignorance of God. The greatness, the worth, the wonder, and the all-satisfying beauty of God. You have unholy desires because of sin, yes, but also because you haven't seen Jesus for who He is. If there is a veil over your eyes, pray that the Lord Jesus would take it away. He delights to answer that prayer. So number one, what is required? What is it when we say delight yourself in the Lord? It does mean seeing and savoring Jesus as the supreme treasure in your life. It also means abiding in him. Just as Jesus said in John chapter 15, speaking of a a vine and branches and fruit, he said, you abide in me. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? It's not a one time action. But it is a lifetime, continual returning to the Lord Jesus, to his word, reading his promises, taking him at his word. It's about the trust of your heart. You won't abide in someone that you do not trust. You will not stay with someone that you can't believe what they say to you. We sing the words that Anne Steele wrote. Thou lovely source of true delight, whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. One of the wonderful things about knowing the Lord Jesus is that as he reveals himself to you in his word, you may go back again and again to the same passage of scripture or to the same verses or the same book of the Bible. And as you read it again, there is something else that is peeled away. The veil of your eyes and of your heart is peeled away and you see that lovely source of true delight. 
And as you do, it releases the grip of your hands on the things of this world and things that you would love other than him. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Peter wrote, As newborn babes, just as a newborn baby, desire the pure milk of the word of God, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have you tasted that the Lord is gracious, that he is good, that he gives sinners what they do not deserve? Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or the woman who trusts in him. If you trust the Lord Jesus, you will abide in him. But you will not do it if you do not trust him. If you don't trust his word, if you don't trust his sacrifice, if you don't trust his promises to you, you will not abide in him. What does it mean to trust him? I, I mean very two very specific things. Number one, trusting in his love moment by moment. That He is for me. And you have to say that with all of your life in view. Not just coming in here this morning, singing the hymns and coming to the Lord's table. That moment by moment, He's with me. He's with me when my day starts out awfully before I even leave the house. He's with me when I come home and I am totally zapped of every bit of energy and zeal and comfort and compassion. And I don't have any more to give out. He is with you moment by moment there. And he is loving you. But it's hard to believe that. The gospel seems to slip off of our souls in those kind of moments when we are totally empty. Lord, do you love me? Do you care? This is what it means to abide in him. That I know moment by moment he is with me. And that his word is true. That everything he says to me is true. Everything that he says about himself, about reality, about this world, about life, about suffering, about comfort about love and idolatry. Everything that he says about eternity is true. That's what it means to abide in Jesus, to trust in his love and believe that everything he says in his word is true. But I believe it also means not that you look to yourself and say, self, you need to abide in Jesus, though that is certainly true. And Jesus gave the command, you also have to cling to the promise that he will cause you To abide in himself. We sing. When I fear my faith will fail. Christ. Will hold me fast. Praise the Lord. That I look outside of myself. For the security of his love. And graciousness. And your savior. The Lord Jesus prayed these words. For you in John chapter 17. As he was praying for the disciples. He prayed for all of his people. Holy father. Keep through your name those whom you have given to me. He prayed that you and I would know a security of holding us. Not that our grip is holding something tightly, but that we are held in his. Praise the Lord. That's what this meal represents this morning. The sacrament points to what he does and not to us. So number two, how do I know I am? How do I know that I am delighting in the Lord the way that David wrote about here? How do I know that I'm doing it even in the midst of everyday things? Number one, you are free. And I mean the kind of freedom that cannot be taken away. That's not based on having or not having tangible things. It isn't diminished by bad news. 
It rests in the truth of God's providence in everyday things for his glory. Are you free? Dear believer, are you free? As Jesus is your supreme treasure, you may rest, and I do mean rest, in the staggering promises that Jesus is everything that you need. He will provide. He promises He will. But can't we say with honesty, even in our own conscience this morning, even if you wouldn't say it to someone else, I doubt. I fear. I wonder if it's true. Is he going to come through this time or am I alone? And all of us are there, probably more than we want to admit. And we are struggling and striving and sometimes we even get after each other because we're doubting him. Not because we have an issue really with someone else, but we are struggling with the reality that we are frail people. That we don't have strength. But you have to go back to promises with fear. Romans chapter 8 verse 32. He who did not spare his own son. But delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him. Give us all things. Read those verses. Dear believer. Cling to those promises. There are times when that's all that you have. And in those moments, you are right where you need to be. What a precious place to be in your Savior's hands, in His presence, with His Word. That is the greatest reality of life, to be with Him. You're free. Number one, you're free from the penalty and from the power of sin. We sing in the song, He breaks the power of reigning sin. He sets the prisoner free. Do you know what that's like? Because of the new desires to love and serve God, to be pleasing to Him, sin no longer has the allure that it once did. There was a time when it gripped your heart. It ruled your life. But when Jesus broke in, he set you free like a prisoner leaving a jail cell, his chains and shackles laying on the floor. Jesus did that for you. And you might say, but as a dog returns to its vomit, so I struggle with sin. But you are struggling with a reality that no longer has power over you. You are free in Christ. 1 John 3, verse 8, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, It is for freedom that Christ has made you free. He has set you free. There are some who would say that freedom means I can do anything that I want. There are some who say free will means that I can choose. It's up to me. It's on, it's on my shoulders how I choose to walk with God or not. How can you say anything or how can the church say anything about what it means to follow Jesus? I'm discovering my own path, my own identity. But the Bible says Jesus set you free to love him, to cherish him. 
What does it mean that you're free? It means that you are continually, every day, day in and day out, entrusting yourself, even in the difficult circumstances that you and your family are going through right now. It means continually entrusting yourself to Him and saying, even if there is a lump in your throat, thank you, Heavenly Father, for bringing even this trial into my life right now. I know that you will use it for my good and for your glory. Even this trial is mercy in my life. Because if I got what I deserved, it would be so much worse. I don't have to be in control. Now I realize I never really was. I was really frozen with fear of making the wrong choice, of taking the wrong turn, of ruining my life. And I humbly submit to your providence in my life. Can you say, as Job did, though the Lord slay me, yet will I trust him? So how do you know you're free? How do you know that you're abiding in the Lord Jesus? Number one, you are free. Number two, you have eternal priorities. You love what Jesus loves. You desire to see him glorified and his name known among the peoples of the earth. If you have eternal priorities, it means that you participate in worship. Not in a guilt-induced way, well, I have to go, or other people are there, or I'm going to get a phone call. I know if I don't, so-and-so is going to call. Where were you today at church? You see it as being the church and not doing church, as an identity and not a to-do list item. You have an appetite for being here, and you truly miss it when you're gone. But also... As you have eternal priorities, you see the spiritual reality, the eternal destiny. I mean heaven or hell. Living in bliss in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing his glory, or living separated from him in hell, on fire, forever, knowing acutely separation from God, forever. Now seeing that spiritual reality, as you look at people, who were lost in sin, just as you once were, you can no longer see them the same way. You have a loving desire, a passion, a burning in your heart that they might see Jesus for who He is, that He would take the veil away, the veil that our sin has caused. It is our fault, not His. You pray that the Lord would use you. Lord, help me to point others to delight in you. Use me, if you be pleased, to show others your beauty. I want to end with the words of a hymn. O God, beyond all praising. This is the second verse. As you walk with the Lord, as you delight in Him, may this be the tune of your heart. Then hear, O gracious Savior, accept the love we bring, that we who know your favor may serve you as our king. And whether our tomorrows be filled with good or ill, we'll triumph through our sorrows and rise to bless you still, to marvel at your beauty and glory in your ways and make a joyful duty our sacrifice of praise. May the Lord be pleased to do that in your life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word.
We thank you for the freedom and the joy and the delight that you give us in your presence. Lord, I pray as we come to your table now in just a moment that you would help us to come and to feed upon Christ. We're not coming to this table to point to something that we have done. We are coming as needy people who need to be fed by you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, that you would cleanse us, that you would assure us of your love, that we would stand firmly in it, coming to this table by faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At this time, I'd like to ask the men who will be helping with the Lord's Supper to come forward. This meal that's before you today is a representation of a meal that we will celebrate one day in the presence of Jesus. And we, the church, the bride of Christ, adorned in fine white linen, will be wed to our King. We will participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb, and all of Jesus's and all of your enemies and the enemies of God's people will have been defeated under his feet. But we live in between the time of Jesus' first coming and his second coming. We anticipate and we wait and we have to live by faith. I want to encourage you this morning as you come to this table, come to it not seeing simply a cup of juice and a little piece of bread. Come to it seeing the representation of Jesus' love and sacrifice for you, that you might belong to him, and that today and tomorrow and the rest of this week, you will be reminded of the riches of the Lord Jesus given to you in this meal by his sacrifice, that the triumph of his resurrection shouts to you, your resurrection is coming, that Jesus has and will defeat all of his and our enemies, and we will rule and reign with him. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. This meal represents those blessings, every spiritual blessing. Nothing does He withhold from you. This meal shows that. He willingly gave every bit of himself for you and for me. Come to this table needing, come to this table needing faith, come to this table needing strength. He gives it to you. Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Come to the Lord Jesus. He'll give you rest.
In the book of 1 Corinthians, it gives instructions on how we are to celebrate, to participate in this meal together. It's an orderly meal. It's a meal that Jesus gave to his people. This is a meal that points outward. As you look at your soul, we are commanded to examine ourselves. We're commanded to look at our hearts and see whether or not we are walking with the Lord. If there is unrepentant, habitual sin in our lives, is there some example of something in our lifestyle that shows that we are not loving the Lord the way that we should? Is there something wrong between us and someone else that we haven't done everything that we can to make right with them? This meal is Jesus' meal. So he sets the terms. He's the host. He sends the welcome. So let's go to the Lord now in silent confession before him, before we participate in this meal. And I'll close in prayer in just a moment. Heavenly Father, we confess in these quiet moments that we have sinned in thought and word and deed even in this day and that we need your grace. We need the forgiveness that Jesus came to die to purchase for us. And we cry out to you that you would cleanse us from our sins. We pray, Lord, that you would help us as we have done things that we know we shouldn't have done, and we have left undone things that we ought to do, and that apart from you there is no health in us at all. None of us are righteous. None of us comes to this table not needing the blood of Jesus to cover us. Lord, we pray that you would be pleased as we confess our sins to you, to heal us, to forgive us, to bind up what is broken in us. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. See if there is any wicked way in us. And lead us in your way everlasting. We pray this by faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It says in 1 Corinthians, Paul gave these instructions to the church. He says that I received from the Lord Jesus that which I delivered unto you. That on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. And he broke it in their sight. And he said, This is my body which is broken for you. He knew that in just a very short time, they would not be able to recognize him because of the beating that he would take. That his very flesh would be opened and that you could see the insides as clearly as you could see the outside just moments before. That the Lord Jesus would undergo brutal beating, punching, that a crown of thorns would be crushed down upon his head, that those thorns would go into his skin, that he would sweat true, real, great drops of blood on behalf of his people. And that he would do that for the sins to be cleansed from our hearts. Jesus suffered bodily for you, that you might live forever with him. It says that in the same way after the supper, he took the cup, he poured it. And he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread 
and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed once and for all. Hallelujah. These are the gifts of God for you, His people. Feed upon Christ as He has offered to you in the Gospel. The Bible says that this is the table of the Lord Jesus. It's not Lebanon's table. It's not the PCA's table. Certainly not mine. The Lord Jesus is the only host of this meal. We here this morning as your elders are simply His servants and yours. Proclaiming to you the gospel as we bring the elements to you. And you proclaim that gospel as you pass each the trays down the aisles. You say, the Lord Jesus His body broken for you. His blood poured out for you. We proclaim that gospel together this morning in this meal as we celebrate. I'm going to pray and then we will begin. Our Father in heaven, I pray that you would set aside these elements. Simple bread and a cup of juice. Lord, I pray that you would set them aside in our hearts. That we wouldn't see them simply as a an empty recitation, something that we do here every other month, but that there would be true means of grace in it for us, that they would proclaim to us the high and the beauty and the lofty glory of the Lord Jesus and His blessed sacrifice for us, that His body was broken for our sins, for our iniquities you laid on Him wrath, and that His blood was poured out as we drink the cup. Lord, I pray that you would minister it to our souls, that we might believe completely by faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It is the table of the Lord Jesus. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and a member of a church that takes the gospel seriously, that preaches the Bible, the whole Bible, then you're welcome at this table. If you don't know the Lord Jesus by faith and have not called upon Him, then the Bible says you ought not to participate. If you have some ongoing unrepentant sin in your life, that you have not made right with the Lord, that you've not confessed and pled the blood of Jesus because of it, then you ought not come to this table today, but come the next time that we celebrate. If there's something going on between you and someone else that you have not done your best in your conscience before the Lord, you know there's something I should do, then you ought not come to this table. Wait until next time. Make it right between you and your brother or sister, and then come by faith. And if your covenant children have not yet made profession of faith, then have them keep their hands at their side, and they might participate on profession of faith in the future. But this is not a table for perfect people. This is a table for people who call upon the Lord by faith, who need mercy, who know they are sinners, and who rejoice and delight that He has put this meal before us. Take and taste and see the Lord is good. Lord Jesus said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. The Lord Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink you all of it for the forgiveness of your sins. In just a moment, having tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we're going to cover the table 
And then as it says in the scriptures that they sang a hymn before they departed, we're going to sing together and receive the benediction and then leave. We have tasted and seen. You have partaken of the Lord's table, His goodness for you. Delight in His love and rest in Him today. Let's stand together now, turn in your hymnal to number 498, and let's sing together, Jesus, what a friend of sinners.
benediction of our Lord from the book of Numbers, chapter 6. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons. This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Amen. Amen.